We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 21. John 21. Right, someone left the reading glasses. I turned 40 and I can't read it anymore. I don't know what happened. I was trying to do some drywall today. Have you got who, who in here has done drywall before? That is a young man's job. I'm telling you, my legs are sore, my back is sore. But trying to read the tape measure today, I, I kept cutting it wrong because I couldn't read. I didn't have my glasses. So you cut, you measure twice, right, and cut once. I, I, I think I cut three or four times and measured six or seven times, but all right. Are you guys awake in here? All right. I know it's a midweek. I, I, our Thursdays, it's a tough time, isn't it, to, to make it to church, but I commend you guys for being here and being uh, just students of the Word. Some of you just are here because you, you just know that you need to hear God. Some of you are here because you just... I, I'm, I know to be at home, it wouldn't be a good thing, just sitting around watching TV. And uh, some of you are here just going, Lord, uh, I just need to be filled up. I need to be filled up again. You know, the Christian life, I would say, our, our main pursuit is to find out the will of God, right? How, how, I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I've heard from uh, people, how do I know the will of God? And that's what I want to talk about today is the will of God. Sometimes, you know, the, his will is easy in some respects. Sometimes it's difficult in others. But there's the waiting on the will of God. I want to talk about all those things today. And really, we can find a, a lot of what we're looking at. What we're, the, the main theme is in chapter 21, and it's with the disciples. And just to set the context... Uh, of John, and, and just to set the context, what is happening here? This is uh, a few weeks after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's already shown himself to the disciples when they were in Jerusalem. And we're going to find out they're all the way near the Sea of Tiberias now, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. So there's this gap from Jerusalem all the way north to Galilee. It's probably a four-day walk for those disciples. And uh, they're waiting on Jesus to show up. And so we want to pick up in verse um, 1. We're going to read down to verse... Ooh, those are a little too much. All right, we'll read down to verse 14. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin... Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, We are going to go with you also. They went out and immediately got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had, come, uh, had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast. 
Now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net full with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it in bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of his disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray real quick. Father, we ask that you would teach us, Lord. You tell us in 1 Corinthians that you've given us the Spirit, and the Spirit is the one who reveals your, your will, your heart to us. And that's what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, so you got the context, right? So they were in Jerusalem. Jesus has been resurrected. Now, all of a sudden, they're in Galilee. And and so I would ask the question, why are they in Galilee? And the simple answer is this. Jesus told them to go there. He told them to go there before he died. Remember in, in Matthew chapter 26, he said, but after I've been raised, I'm going to go before you into Galilee. And remember, even after he was raised from the dead, the angels spoke to the women and and said, go tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you into Galilee and there you will see him. So long before Jesus died and rose again, he told them to go to Galilee. So we can say they were in Galilee because the Lord told them to go there. That's pretty simple, right? They were there because Jesus told them to be there. They were, they were obediently following the word of the Lord, and they were right where Jesus wanted them to be. And this is where we want to be, right where God tells us to be. So as we think about this, the, the will of the Lord, isn't that where we all want to be? Do you guys want to be in the, in the middle of God's will? Right smack in the middle, right? Because that's where the blessings flow. That's where the power is. That's, that's where we don't cause ourselves problems. Not to say there's not problems in the will of God or obstacles, but you have his power, his blessing there. And, and he, that's where you hear his voice the loudest. So how do you know the will of God? It, it may seem like a daunting task, right, to know the will of God for your life, but this shows us that it can be pretty easy in some respects because if we know his word, then we know much about the will of the Lord. Again, they were there because they heard the word of the Lord. So for us, guys, there's the word of the Lord, the scriptures that he's given to us. This is very clear on the scriptures that he's given to us that we need to obey the things he has already revealed to us. Obey the things in his word that are obvious. You know, one of the obvious things in his word is he wants sexual sanctification. He wants us to abstain. He wants us to be pure. Uh, There's many things that are so clear in the word of God. Fellowship, what you guys are doing tonight. 
He wants us to be in the Word. He wants us to be uh, in church and not forsaking the assembling of the brethren. So as you go through the, the Word of God, there's much to be said about the things we already know, right? I mean, there, there's so much said to us about the, the, the obvious things that we're to do in our lives. So obeying the obvious things about His will will, first of all, keep us off the wrong road and on the right road. And so we have his word, and, and so we need to get into the word, learn the word, but then do the word. Tell, do what he tells us to do, and we'll be on that right road. And as you do this, you'll be in a place to hear even more, as, is, as the disciples did. You know, sometimes people were praying for God's will, and we're saying, God, what do you want from my life? And, and he may look at our life and say, well, I, I want you to quit having sexual relations with your girlfriend. That's the first thing that I want. Or I want you to quit lying and cheating at work. See, those are the obvious things. And sometimes we're looking, Lord, what do you want for my life? What's the grand plan for my life? And he's saying, let's start with the obvious things. Let's start with those and, and obey those. As you obey those, then he'll give you more. And he'll give you more and he'll reveal more to you. So how do we find out the will of the Lord? First of all, obey what he's already told us to do. But the second thing we should do is we need to pray every day for his will. We need to pray. You know, Jesus taught us to pray for his will, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But secondly, as we are praying, then we need to get into the word every day, especially private devotions. You know, don't, don't look at that as a daunting task as well. As in, devotion just simply means setting aside some time to get into the word, and to, to read the Word and start your day off that way. Just sometime in your day, get in the Word and let the Lord speak. Pray, Lord, speak to me through as I just go through your Word and I read it for myself. So private devotions are very important in our life for reading and listening to the Lord. I can think of numerous times in my daily devotions where God spoke to me through His Word. I re remember a time when I was at Bible college. It was now 20, about 21 years ago. And in, when I was at Bible College, I was kind of confused about God's will in the area of romantic relationships. I was a single guy. I wasn't confused about his will for purity. I knew that. It just, I also knew that dating different girls wasn't for me, just kind of going from you know, girl to girl in the sense of even dating, even if it was pure that that wasn't for me. Uh, and so I, I, at 21 years old, when I was at Bible college, I was pretty impatient. I was thinking, you know, Lord, uh, time's getting growing on me here, and you know, I don't know when you're going to bring my girl or when you're going to bring my wife. I've been waiting a long time. Have you guys ever been there? I was 21 years old, but I was praying like I was, you know, somewhere in my, my 80s. And, and just, I had many female friends, but none of them really felt right, you know, to grow beyond that point. But again, I was, I was growing impatient, thinking, well, I'm going to graduate one day and I'm going to go in the ministry. And it would be great to have a wife, a partner in this whole thing, Lord. So where is she? Is it any of these girls that I know? And, uh, you know, the clock was ticking kind of thing. So I narrowed it down to two of these girls. And the only reason I narrowed it down to two of these girls, they were just friends, was because everybody in my life kept questioning about me about those two girls. So I thought, well, maybe people see something I'm not seeing here. 
And so I said, well, Lord, out of these two girls, now, to be honest, neither one of these girls seemed to fit me great. Um, and, and who knows what they really thought of me, by the way. But, you know, as I, I felt impatient, so I just said, Lord, which one of these two is, is my wife? But, so I just decided to pray about it. And one of them, to be honest with you, I don't mean to be mean, I, I could never see myself, you know, attracted to her in, you know, in, that, in, in, in a romantic way. But uh, I, I decided to pray about it. And uh, the one that was just, uh, the other one was just very young in life. Um, you know, I grew up quickly. And the way that I grew up in my family uh, kind of just grew up quickly, had, you know, different experiences. And this girl was pure and just, you know, godly, and, but we just didn't connect in, a, in a, a life level. And so I was really praying about it, though. And one day in my devotions, I just picked up, finished John, I think, the Gospel of John, and picked up in, in um, Acts chapter 1. And as I was reading, um, it, it's the story of where Peter wanted to fill the seat of Judas. Remember, Judas had betrayed the Lord, and, and he wanted to fill that 12th spot with somebody. And, and so they chose all these different guys, and out of those guys, there were two guys, and they cast lots, and it's kind of like playing dice, you know. Uh, maybe a simple way to put it is, hey, if it's six, it's you. If it's, you know, if it's any other number, it's you. And so they, they rolled the dice, and uh, they ended up picking a man ma- named Matthias. But I, I knew somewhat my Bible. I knew how the book of Acts went on and how it, 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 the stories of, you know, that were told to us in the book of Acts. And it seemed pretty clear to me that as I read the rest of the book of Acts that God's choice wasn't even Matthias at least in my opinion, because after that choice, you never hear of that guy again. You don't hear of his name after that ever again. But there was a guy that came along afterwards, and you hear of him really from chapter 9 and on. And that man's name is Paul. He was previously Saul. And, and, and I truly believe that that was the Lord's pick. I believe that that's who the Lord was choosing as the next apostle. So I felt like the Lord was speaking to me in my own life, saying, listen, you've done just what Peter has done here, and you've basically presented me two people, and and the two people that you presented to me are not the ones. There's another one that's not even here yet. And and so, you know, I kind of gave up that whole idea and just threw myself into Bible, Bible college until the next semester. And then all of a sudden, in the registration line was this, this beautiful woman named Amy. I didn't know it at the time. She had a red baseball cap, overalls. And uh, I just said, either that's her or I'm in trouble. And uh, anyway, let me make a long story short. That was her. We've been married for 20 years now. But get, thank you. Get in the Word. It's, it's the devotions. As you get in the Word, you allow God to speak. You know those areas of your life that you're, you know, like that. That's a silly thing, but God was able to show me my error and, and to correct me and, and lead me in a different way, just to give me, hey, leave that alone right now and just get on with me. Plug into school. And as you read, you listen. And also get in the habit of doing what you're doing right here. So that's your personal devotion. But this is very important too, isn't it? 
gathering together in the congregation to hear the word of the Lord. Because what ends up happening is oftentimes you'll hear a confirmation of the things that you've heard in your, in your private devotions. As you get together like this, you're in your private devotion. You come to church, all of a sudden, Pastor Manny speaks on a subject, and you're going, man, I was just looking at that and thinking about that on my, my own devotions. And I felt like God was you know, speaking to me, but now he's confirming it even more. This shouldn't be something brand new to, me, to you, uh, hearing the word from Manny to you in a prophetic sense. It should be like something built upon God speaking throughout the week as well. And as you're listening throughout the week, Manny then in those hot spots, those prophetic spots, are speaking directly to you. Isn't that funny how in a congregation like this, what are there, maybe 60, 70 people, that the Lord can speak to this person and that person and that person uniquely in their situation? See, as you're in the Word, it's mulling in you. You're, you're talking to the Lord. He may be speaking. It may not even be clear yet to you. But then you come together, something like this, then it becomes more clear. Then you listen to K-Wave, and you hear it again and again, right? That's the way God, God speaks. So you even get more clarity. Then once you hear it, it seems clear to you, then obey it. Then do what God's telling you to do. So have you prayed about everything and sought the Lord over it all? Have you searched His Word, and, and are you living according to it, not contrary to it? I'm not saying a perfect life, but I'm saying having a short list with God where you're just like, I'm, I'm seeking you, I'm following you, Lord. And if you're doing those things, you can be sure you're in the will of God. Uh, I think it was Augustine who said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, 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 and do whatever you wish. Because if you're doing that, then you're in the will of God. You see, as you're searching God's will, as you're seeking him, he, he's not a father that's far away. It's not like he can't speak to you. As you're in his word, you're in church like this. And, and unless he's telling you something different, then you're in his will right now. Unless there's sin in your life, then you're in his will. And, and, and as you continue to look up and you, as you continue to listen, he's going to give you more. He's going to give you more and lead you in your life. So as we come back to the story, here are these guys in the will of God. But notice they're in the will of God and they're waiting. They're waiting in Galilee for Jesus. How long have they been there? We don't know. John doesn't tell us. They, they did what Jesus told them to do. Now they're waiting for him. They're waiting for the next set of instructions. And have you guys ever noticed that waiting is a big part of the Christian life? Have you noticed that? I don't even like waiting for the microwave. I grew up in a generation where you, you get a frozen burrito. It took 45 minutes in the oven. And I remember as a little kid, the microwave was invented. And you could throw that thing in there, and it would cook in two minutes. And we thought, wow. But now, as time went on, I'm looking at that going, really, two minutes? It's going to take me two minutes? i got stuff to do. And so just impatience. I don't like to wait. Um, so much of our life as a Christian is waiting on the Lord, isn't it? That's by design. That's by design from the Lord. Waiting can be a difficult thing. Are you waiting right now on the will of the Lord for something in your life? Maybe it's something that it's just in the back of your mind, but you're just waiting, and, or maybe it's really prevalent. And it keeps coming up, and it's like, Lord, when are you going to answer that prayer? When are you going to bring that about? 
and, and you're just waiting. It can be very difficult. I find it very difficult at times because I can be impatient at times. I don't like things to string along. I like things buttoned up real nicely. You know, just to kind of, okay, I'm done with that, I'm done with that. But having things string along where there's nothing I can do to tighten that thing up and kind of put it away, it's just sitting there. And it's just, you can't do anything about it. And it just drives me crazy. And the only thing that that can, the only way it's going to be done is if, if God does it. You know, it can be difficult. But one thing you cannot do is rush the Lord, right? Can't rush him. He won't be rushed. You, you just have to wait on his timing. He has a timing for everything, and it is the best timing. He's never late. He's never early. He's right on time. He's never late, but he's never early. He's right on time. See, he, see th- he sees things that we don't, and he's setting up things that in the background that we couldn't possibly know but he's also working patience into our life to, to, to learn to trust, to just wait upon his movement in our life, teaching us to trust, teaching us to wait. Sometimes waiting on the Lord can feel like an eternity for th- certain things in our life, when in reality, maybe it's just a few weeks. But we just feel like, man, I've been waiting on the Lord for so long for this very thing. But if you think you've been waiting very long, think about a guy like Moses. He waited 40 years after he first felt called by the Lord, and then another 40 years, and then he didn't even get to go into the promised land. You have a guy like Abraham. He waited 15 years for a son that was promised to him. The Apostle Paul, he waited about 14 years from the first time he was called to when he finally took his first missionary trip and started to fulfill the calling in his life. Fourteen years. Waiting is a trying time, but it can also be a testing time. God will use waiting in our life to see what we will do during this time. Remember Abraham? He grew kind of impatient, didn't he? Him and his wife. And he ended up making a huge blunder by saying, hey, you know, go into Hagar. We'll have a son by there. And that is, has been a curse to Israel ever since. You guys know how that worked out. Didn't work out very well. So what does it mean to wait? And how, how should we wait on the Lord? In a general sense, I don't think waiting is just listening. Or it, it is just wit- listening and watching in it for his voice. I don't think it has much to do with our posture as it does with our obedience during this time. Most, most if not all of us, cannot just check out of life, right? We, we have things to do as we're waiting on the Lord. You have kids to pick up, kids to get ready for school. You have jobs to go to. I mean, it would be great if we could just go to a mountain and wait on God, wouldn't it? But most of us can't do that. You're waiting on the Lord while you're occupying, right? While you're doing things, while you're still cooking dinners and you know cleaning house or going out to work and doing drywall, whatever you got to do. But you're waiting on that thing, but you still have things to do. You're occupying in the midst of that. You still can be attentive in those things. You can still be, have a, a, a watchful heart for the Lord and carry out your responsibilities at the same time. So I don't think it's so much of a posture that I need to be on my knees waiting on God. Though That would be great if we could all do that sometime. You know, but... It's just a mindset of, Lord, this prayer is before you, and I'm just constantly waiting for your 
will in my life in regards to this thing. And if you have your antennas up like that, God will speak. But there may be that waiting. I think we can learn a little bit from Peter of what waiting on the Lord looks like. Again, we don't know how long that these guys were in Galilee, maybe a week or two, but they were getting antsy. I mean, you can only sit around for so long on the seashore waiting for Jesus. They were, this was their hometown. This was near, I mean, this is where they all grew up. And I'm sure they're just twiddling their thumbs every day like, okay, the Lord told us to wait here. But he didn't, he didn't tell them how to wait there, did he? He just said, go there and I'll meet you there. So I think for the first week or so, you know, it's like the Lord's going to show up any minute. Well, he didn't show up. Maybe the next day. Maybe the next day. And Peter finally just says, you know, guys, I'm going fishing. This is boring sitting around looking at you guys. I, I, let, let's go fishing. Let's get out there and, 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 and do something productive. Now, l- let me just say this. Some commentators and biblical uh, teachers actually teach and, and think that Peter was going back to his old life that he was going back to his old occupation, sort of giving up on waiting on the Lord. And I will just tell you, I personally don't see it that way. I just see a man that wants to occupy and stay busy until the Lord shows up, until the Lord answers, until until the Lord comes through for them. If Jesus had told them not to go fishing, that would be a different story, right? But he's never told them not to go fishing. I mean, when he called Peter away from his occupations years earlier to follow him, that did not mean fishing was banned from his life altogether. It just needed to be secondary to anything Jesus wanted him to do in his life. Following Jesus as an apostle was first and foremost. I remember Jesus once told Peter to go fishing in the midst of the ministry. The tax man showed up and says, well, does your teacher and you guys pay taxes? And Peter went running to Jesus and is found in Matthew chapter 17, verse 27. But let me just tell you, he shows up and he says, Jesus, the tax man is after us. What shall we do? And Jesus says, well, I want you to go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up. And when you have opened its mouth, you'll find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Isn't that cool? So my point is, fishing wasn't banned. Jesus used it in the ministry as long as it was conducive to the will of the Lord. So it had to to be second in his life. These guys don't know what the will of the Lord is at this time, except for to just stay in that area. Just be in this area, because that's where I told you to be. All they know is the will of God told them to wait there. So is it wrong for them to stay busy as they wait? No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think it's good to stay productive and occupy until you hear the next set of instructions from the Lord. Just so long as you are willing to move when he says move. You see, that's the key. If Peter had gone back fishing and just said, well, I'm not waiting on the Lord anymore. And then when the Lord showed up, said, oh, Lord, I'm done with this apostle thing. You know, look at all the fish we caught. Just bless this. I want to stay here. That's not what he did. As long as we're willing to move when the Lord says move. We can occupy. We can stay busy. That's all I see these guys doing. But notice it wasn't all that fulfilling for them during this time. 
Though they were occupying, though they were doing things, they even went back to their old occupation just for a night at least. It wasn't all that fulfilling. They caught nothing. It wasn't a good night of fishing. Any guys fishing here? You got two guys in this whole congregation. I love fishing. But the worst question ever asked of a fisherman is, did you catch anything if you haven't caught anything? I went yellowtail fishing on, on my birthday. My wife gave me a, 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 it was a gift. Everybody was catching something but me. There was this little kid about eight years old. There was this guy that could honestly barely walk. He was, he was an elderly man, and he's hooked up. And they're all around the boat, and I'm, I'm doing the same thing. I've been fishing all my life. I, thought, I was just thinking, Lord, are you mad at me today? What's going on? You know, but I got off the boat and didn't catch one yellowtail. And there were 50 caught on the boat. I was skunked. And as you're walking off the boat, you got all these people waiting to see what was caught. Catch anything? And you want to say, well, I got hit, you know, or I lost a few. But I didn't get even, the, even that. It was just empty. But it just irks you a little bit, you know. That, that, that's at least my story. So all night these guys caught nothing. I'm sure they tried their old spots. I'm sure they tried their old techniques. This was their home. They knew that ground. They knew that lake. They're thinking back three and a half years. Oh, remember, if we just try over here, we do it this way. They tried all those things. They came up empty. But let me say this. That's how it is when God has something for you to do, and you try to do what you used to do. You may, he may have you occupied there, but you know this is not something you're going to be in forever. It's empty. It's not the same fulfilling thing it used to be. Even a good thing, even a good occupation is not the same thing as it used to be. God's will makes all the difference in our life. If God called them to fishing, then they would have been successful at fishing. If God called them to fishing, they could find contentment in fishing. But he had not called them to that. He wanted them to be fishers of men. And notice, he could have empowered them to be fishermen, right? I mean, because he just says, you know, do it this way, and they catch 153 fish. That's a fisherman to the exact number. 153 large fish, by the way. That, that, that's apparent by their cats that Jesus could have blessed that kind of life. So after a full night of no fish, Jesus shows up on the shore, yet they didn't know it was him. And he asked them, children, do you have any food? Did you catch anything? And they yell back, no. And then he says, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. Notice that they don't know this is Jesus yet. Why they do this, I'm not sure. I'm like, who is this guy? We're the fishermen. Who's this guy yelling from the shore to tell us to cast our nets on the other side of the boat? But maybe they said, why not? Let's try. We're not catching anything anyway. My assumption is that they thought this was reminiscent to a command that Jesus said to Peter years earlier. You guys remember when Jesus first called Peter? Push out into the deep. Throw your nets back down. Lord, we've fished all night and we've caught nothing. This, was, this is what happened the first time. Peter pro, protested and, and then finally relented. At your command, then, we'll go out. And as he did, remember, the nets were so full that they were breaking. That was three years earlier. Here's three and a half years later. And they, I think they're hearing that reminiscent 
command that came earlier. This sounds familiar. This sounds like what we heard three and a half years ago. This shows them. They're starting to, their ears are starting to perk up. Here they are a few years later in a similar circumstance, and they hear the command. I cannot prove it, but I think that, that their Jesus antennas went up right here. You know what? Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like the Lord? Doesn't that sound like something he said earlier? So they cast their nets. I believe that's why they did it. I believe that's a, hey, doesn't this sound like him? Or maybe they're just all thinking it. And so they just kind of all throw the net on the other side of the boat and notice they, they hit a school of fish feeling their net. And that's when John turns to Peter and he says, it's the Lord. It is the Lord. I imagine with a big old smile, he, t- he turned to Peter and said, it is the Lord, Peter. It's him. This is, we know this scene. We, we've been here before. Notice they didn't recognize him. How they know it's the Lord? Because they're used to his voice. They're used to his commands. They're used to the way Jesus speaks to them. And so without knowing who's on the shore yet, just by what happened there, he turns and says, it's the Lord. Sometimes you just know it's the Lord, right? You start to hear his voice. And so because you, when you realize it's the Lord, man, it does. It makes you smile. Over time, you get familiar with his ways in your life. You just know after, the, after a while, like John, it is the Lord. Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I have, the Lord speaks to me in a different way than he speaks to my wife. There, I have those old familiar ways, you know, when, when it's just like, man, that smells. I, I, I see it like this. That smells and breathes of the Lord. That's so familiar. That, that, that voice of the Lord, that the way things are being set up, that's the Lord, honey, tell my wife. And it's just to, to have that, that familiarity with him over time. As he said, my sheep hear my voice. It's so true. John knew it's him, guys. I believe they all suspected the same thing. John just voiced it. John's just the one who said it. Notice Peter's reaction is just awesome. I, I think it reveals two things by his actions first of all it shows that peter could care less about fishing and the catch notice he dives in and leaves it all behind he 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 was just occupying he was just filling time he just wanted jesus that's what he wanted he didn't want to go back to his old life because 153 fish and he's like eh, forget about it the pinnacle of his career you know with such a catch he's like who cares and he dives in this burly fisherman dives in on that cool spring and swims to shore, leaving the other guys with the net. So I think it proves Peter simply didn't care about those things. But the second thing it shows me is that how grace works in a life. Because Peter had failed Jesus. Remember that? He had failed Jesus how many times? You guys know? Three times. He denied the Lord three times. And it wasn't just a, a casual denial. Remember, he was cursing. There's no curse words in Hebrew. That doesn't mean he was using curse words. He was calling curses down on his head, saying, if I believe in him, then let me be a curse. Let me be cast off from God forever. That, he is so adamant in his denial. That he was calling curses down upon his own head in his denial. To just the veracity of that, just saying, listen, I do not believe in that man. He denied Jesus. 
And remember after the resurrection, when, when in Mark's gospel, when, when the angel spoke to the women, said, go tell the disciples and Peter. Then if you read in 1 Corinthians and Luke's gospel as well, it gives the order, that it shows the order in which Jesus showed himself to the men, to the disciples. It doesn't talk about the women. It just talks about the apostles. And in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, in verse 5, this is the order. It says, he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. So that tells us that long before Jesus showed up in the upper room, he had a private meeting with Peter somewhere. We're not given that account in Scripture. We're only told it happened. I believe that that particular encounter with Peter was a forgiveness encounter. I believe that that encounter with Peter was the one that Jesus forgave him and brought him back into fellowship. If you go on in chapter 21, uh, in verse 15 through 19, you'll see that's when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me three times? And that's when he's restored to his apostolic office. So he was, first of all, you need to be forgiven. Then you can be restored to ministry. I believe that private encounter was when Jesus forgave Peter. And when that whatever happened there, you guys know what it's like to be forgiven of Jesus if you're a Christian. It's a private moment. It's a deep moment. But when he's forgiven you of such debt, of such sins as we've committed, and even as Christians, we come to him, we come before him on our knees before him, and he lifts us up, he washes us. What grace does is it makes us want to love him more. Grace is such a powerful motivator to obedience. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ causes us to dive in and leave everything, if you would. This is what Peter shows us. Peter wasn't beholden to anything on that boat. He didn't care about it. He dove in. He was running to Jesus. Grace does way more than the law could ever do. The law just says, don't, don't, don't. Grace says, I love you. I have forgiven you. I've given you what you don't deserve. And man, when someone is in love with you like God is in love with you, the only response is to dive in all the way. The only response is to hold on to things in this world very loosely and just say, give me Jesus. That's all I want. Give me Jesus. Because that is the one, the lover of my soul. And he has forgiven me what no one would have forgiven me. What I couldn't imagine God would forgive me, he has forgiven me. And not only forgive me, he's restored me. Grace makes us willing to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. Grace gives us wings to fly above our failures as he did with Peter. Peter was just going to Jesus. He knew Jesus loved him. He knew Jesus had forgiven him. He just wanted to be near him. So he swims to Jesus. Grace causes us to dive in, guys. The last thing we see here is that I just want to point out is how Jesus loves fellowship with his people. This is the sweetest part of God's will, is the fellowship of not only waiting on the Lord, but when he comes through, when he shows up, the fellowship of you and your God. Notice how Jesus gives and takes with his disciples. It already tells us he had a barbecue, right? He had fish and he had bread, didn't he? But what does he tell the disciples to do? Bring some of your fish. 
So you kind of see how God works with us. He has everything we need. Even the stuff we bring him is the stuff he helped us to catch in the first place. But he wants us to bring it. I look at that as like our tithes and offerings. God's not broke, is he? He has all the, he owns all the silver and all the gold. Thousand, you know, the cattle on a thousand heels. He doesn't need us, our money. But he says, hey, you know what? Bring some of that. And let's fellowship together. There's, there's an intimacy. There's a, there's, there's a give and a take. That's what fellowship is. And that's what God offers to us. That he's willing to condescend and actually, you know, relate with us on that level. He's barbecuing. Bring some of your fish, guys. Let's, let's do this. The ironic thing is Jesus helped them to catch that fish. They didn't even catch You saw what they did on their own, right? They caught nothing. So, I'm, hey, Lord, we owe it all to you anyway. So Peter goes and he lugs up that huge thing by himself. Tough guy. And what a beautiful picture of breakfast on the beach with Jesus sharing and spending time together. Guys, when we go to Israel, we, we, there's that spot that we go to. And it's so quiet. We go there early morning like this. And we have a Bible study looking at chapter 21. And I hope Manny can go with us this year. Pray that he gets to go because, man, it will help. It, it just will bless your pastor and then th- he, you will be blessed through your pastor. It's amazing to just sit there and see the scenery and picture Peter lugging up that, that bag of fish there, that net of fish on all, all those rocks and Jesus and that barbecue. What a sweet, sweet moment this was. And notice Jesus is still serving his disciples. He's the one who grabbed the fish, and he's the one who grabbed the bread. And what is he doing? He's serving them, even after all that he has done. You guys, John says something curious in verse 12, and this is where I'm going to end. Yet none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? Don't you guys think that's strange? If, if, if my, just say someone like my wife, if she died and was buried, but she came back to life, I, I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't say that. I would just know that's her. You know what I mean? I would just know that's Amy. No, no, no doubt about it. But why would it say, but yet none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? It, it's possible that his suffering changed his appearance. Because you often see that, right? After his resurrection, that people didn't recognize him. They didn't notice him. So I, I think all the beating, all the scars rearranged him in, in some way, disfigured him. Do you guys know in Revelation it talks about the lamb that was slain? He's the only one in heaven that's still going to have scars. You and I will have a glorified body, but our Lord and our Savior, he still has scars in heaven. Remember after his resurrection, put your hands here, Thomas, feel. Put your hands in your side and feel. And he was showing that he still had those scars. Why is that? Let me suggest this. Because when we're in heaven and and we're looking around, when we look at Jesus Christ, we're going to say he's the reason we're here. We're always going to see those scars. We're always going to be appreciative of what he has done for us. He bought us salvation. It's always going to be a reminder for eons and eons and eons as we see our Lord and our Savior with those scars. So it's possible... That they didn't recognize him initially, like his figure, his face. Because many people did not. But the one thing they knew was his voice. 
The one thing they knew was his command. It's him. That's the Lord. This would be the new way he would relate to his disciples. Remember when he would go to heaven? He's not going to be there in the flesh. This is the only way you and I have ever known the Lord is through his voice and through his voice alone. So guys, it is important to learn his voice. To learn the way he speaks through his word to you. Get in the word, not in a legalistic sense, but start reading the word. Start in a book you actually like. Don't start in Leviticus. Start in, in a gospel. Start in the New Testament somewhere. Start, start in a book you like and just read until God speaks to you. Tell, hey, there's something there. And then think about it throughout the day. Then continue to do what you're doing here. And you continue to pray for God's will in your life. And you will know him like that too. You'll turn to your wife or your husband and say, that's the Lord. It's the Lord. Look at it. This, we, this, we're so familiar with this. This is the way he works. I've been walking with the Lord for 23 years now. And, and the longer that I walk with the Lord, you just get familiar with that voice. Just as I am with my wife's voice. I can hear my wife's voice in a room that's as loud as can be. I, can, I know that's my wife's voice. Because I know her. Spend so much time together. I know my wife's voice. I know that voice when, she, when it's a Daniel, emergency Daniel. I know that voice when it's, hey, Dan. Okay, she's at peace. You know the, influx, the fluctuations, the cadence. You, you know all those things, right, of that voice. Same thing with the Lord. You can get to know the voice of the Lord. Stay in his word. Stay doing this. And guys, just wait and wait and wait and enjoy the wait. Occupy in the wait. And when God has something different, you move when he says move. You jump in, you dive in, you swim in, right? This is the way you, you know the will of the Lord. Mainly, get to know his voice through his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your people here, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you love them so dearly. Lord, that they have come here tonight, some of them very tired. Lord, they could have been doing a million other things, but they're here, Lord. And I pray you'd bless them. I pray that you would fill them, you would lead them, and you would guide them. Guys, as, as we have our eyes closed, I just want, if anybody is just waiting on the Lord for something, and you just want the Lord to speak. You just want to cry out. You just want to surrender that to the Lord. Whatever it is in regards to the will of the Lord, I just ask you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. If you're just waiting on something, all right. Let, let's pray that God either gives you peace where you are, or he comes through and answers you, but you don't deter off that road as you wait. You just continue to occupy. Father, thank you for those who've raised their hand. Lord, they're raising it to you as we know. Waiting for their father, for their Lord, their shepherd to show up on that seashore. Lord, to answer them. God, may their heart just yearn like Peter's was. God, just occupying but willing to give it up. But Lord, we do pray you would answer. Come through, Lord, in a mighty, mighty way in your timing for each one of those who have raised their hand. In Jesus' name. Amen.
We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.